0: Alrighty, welcome to another edition here of Beyond Eight Figures. Steve Elser hanging out with Richie Ote. What's up, Richie Ote? How's <laughs> it going, Steve? Good, good. Marie Goulet is off doing her volunteer work in the world. White Way's holding it down in the studio. And we've got a special guest joining us in studio, actually, and then another special guest joining us uh, who will we actually be interviewing here. Uh, Bjorn here in just a second. But Kelly Pelker, our producer extraordinaire, is hanging out with us. How are you? I'm good. Good. Thank you. You're not holding it down in St. Louis, snowy headquarters. You're actually hanging out with us here.
1: I know it's so fun. I
2: love it. Yay!
0: Glad you are here. Are you really going to go back to all that snow? Or are you just going to hang with us? You're I just going choice. Yeah, that's true. You got to go back.
2: You <laughs> got to go hoping back. My but... flight would be canceled. Then I at least could stay another
1: night.
0: All but... your stuff is there. You got to go back and get your stuff. But you come on. You come to San Diego so often. Just get the hubby to come over here and call it a day. No, I don't know. Maybe not. I know. Maybe so. Maybe Never not. Maybe know. so. Maybe so. All right, so here on Beyond Eight Figures, we sit down with entrepreneurs who have either exited for more than ten million dollars or currently own businesses that gross more than ten million dollars annually, and we grill them until they share with us the tools and techniques and strategies and all the fun things that they did to start, and to scale, and in some cases to exit from that business. And for those of you who are unfamiliar with our live event that we do, uh, we do a live event called the New Media Summit where we teach you how to leverage and monetize the power of new media. and We bring in 40 top podcasters from all over, and you have an opportunity to meet them and learn from them and hang with all of us and uh, and pitch us on who you are and what you do and literally get booked on the spot. And I'm bringing that up. uh, And, of course, if you're interested in joining us at the New Media Summit, you can get details at newmediasummit.net. But I'm bringing that up uh, because our guest today, actually, uh, we were introduced to by an attendee, who came to the new media summit. So the uh, attendee, her name is Heidi, uh, Heidi Forbes, SD. And this is actually uh, Heidi's husband. And so I'm really excited to, because Heidi's amazing. And uh, Bjorn, I'm sure you feel the same way. And We'll get into that here in just a second. Uh, But Heidi's amazing. And then for for her to say, hey, you know, I really think you should sit down with my husband uh, on your new show because, uh, well, Bjorn will tell his story here, but... He just exited not terribly long ago for, uh, well, again, he'll share those details on that. But it was just a very cool kind of serendipity or what, what synchronicity or I don't even know what the word is on it that happened. one. It happened. It happened. Exactly. <laughs> that happened. That's the uh, way it all goes down. That's the way it all goes down. So it's just super <laughs> cool to be joined by uh, someone who was referred to us as a result of that person coming to the summit and then saying, hey, here's a really great guest for your show. So you never know how things uh, are going to happen, and in this case – uh, this is just one of those interesting moments and twists in time, where everything lined up and uh, his schedule was able to coordinate with ours. And so, let's uh, Wade. Let's actually bring on Bjorn right now. And so, Bjorn, are you there, my friend? I am indeed. Nice, Steve. T- I'm right here. Awesome. Nice to chat with you. So, so you would agree that Heidi is an amazing person, yes? Oh, yes.
2: <laughs> uh, of course. <laughs> yes. Ciclicans is probably lift, listening right now, too, Yes, right? exactly. <laughs> She's right amazing. Right. She's, She's a great great lady. L- before um,
0: before I go on and butcher your, your name here throughout uh, this entire interview, I just want to make sure that we're pronouncing it right. How, how do you pronounce your first and last name?
2: So I would say Björn Astemp. Oh,
0: Okay, yeah. I'm, I'm on it. I'll get it. I'll get yeah, it eventually you get there. there. Get in there. Uh, I'll just call you Bjorn. So, you're uh, where are you joining us from right now? Where, we're like literally, where are you at in the world right now?
2: I'm locked up in Tiburon, California. Made sure all doors and windows <laughs> and everything is closed, um, and uh, you know, just um, hunkering down here and <laughs> waiting for the uh, smoke
0: to dissipate. Ah, so you're saying that from the standpoint of, are you fairly close to some of the
2: California fires right now? uh yeah, well you know i'm not really close to the fire but i'm right in the middle of the smoke oh you're and right in, it, oh, wow. yeah it, it's just filling the whole san francisco bay area and and uh, they have all kinds of uh, warnings and alarms going off oh wow uh, but this the fire itself uh is uh, i don't know it's Must be a couple hundred hundred miles. Yeah, yeah. So, so a good few hours drive for sure, right? But the smoke is getting over to you. We'll be safe
0: over there. Uh, Let me ask you you. this: You're you're originally from not Tehran, California. You're originally from Sweden, or where? Where are you from?
2: Uh, That is right. I was born uh, in Sweden. Yeah. And how long ago did you come to the states? So I, uh, uh, tying into the theme of today, I I started a software company way back when, in a previous life, it feels like, right? Right, And and had a a, a great journey there, Uh, 10 years, uh, hit, hit a fair amount north of your 10 million. And I was fortunate enough to sell it then at that time to uh, a major company uh, in the industry. I was in computer security, and the buyer was at that time a company called RSA Security, so leader in cryptography and and, and cool, sexy security solution. Mm -hmm. uh, That's how I came to the U.S., and, and I gave it. A year uh but you know as i was preparing to move back to europe i met heidi mm-hmm. and plans changed
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> and here i am and here you are i got you so just let's
0: let's make sure so we're clear on this so the so you were the founder the co-founder what was the what was the structure of the business that we're reforming let me just in the way that i would ask you this question is how do you meet the criteria then of beyond eight figures and you're saying you meet the criteria because the company that you started and sold uh, was you exited for more than $10 million, correct? Correct. Correct. Yes. Okay. And what, yeah. what year did that start? Was it the one you started in,
2: in 86 or was
0: that? Correct. Uh,
2: okay. Correct. Started in 86, sold it in 97 mm-hmm. and, and came over here. And, and um, I guess uh, at the time I exited, I mean, we had a, a tremendous uh, experience and we were completely self-funded. So we didn't have any external investors that needed to, you know, uh, take sure. a piece of the <laughs> proceeds that we actually landed. Um, mm-hmm. And I started investing in new businesses. I guess that's the normal thing an entrepreneur does, right? I mean, you, I, I really like and enjoy the, the, the early stages and line out the strategy and bring products or, or services to the market and, and, and build. And when it starts getting bigger and more organized and structured, I think there are Lots of people that are far better than me uh, mm-hmm. can go in and run the daily operations. Mm-hmm.
0: So let, let's talk about the embryonic stages then of that business. Uh, and so that was DynaSoft, correct? That was the name. right Yeah. So let's let's talk about that for a second. So eighty-six. You're roughly a few years out of out of college, and at this point, or, or at least in terms of the the masters, the higher education. So you're a few yeah. years so you're a few years out of school. Was this, uh, with a degree in industrial engineering, was this what you wanted to do? Did you stumble on it? Like, how did Dinosoft start? Did you see uh, an opportunity in the market? I'm just trying to get back to the embryonic stages of why did you start it? And then when, when it says co-founder, uh, and you refer to yourself as a co-founder then of that business what was what did that look like did you bring in a couple partners just yeah. take us back to to those yeah, absolutely
2: stages. you know and, and it's really interesting i think uh, we haven't talked so much about that and maybe it doesn't fully apply to the us situation but in the mid 80s most people when i graduated from my university one of the leading universities uh, in in my country all my all my my peers were eyeing jobs with the big corporates mm-hmm. including myself mm-hmm. and I landed a, a very good job for me at that time with a Swedish telecom giant Ericsson which you know sells telecom equipment sure. all over the world right yeah huge and, company and uh, I started working in that corporate organization, organization and, uh, and I lasted 3 years and I was blessed with you know the opportunity to travel the world and and do sell really cool technolo- technology stuff but the whole corporate culture and the big behemoth structure, it was just stifling me, right? I yeah. felt like that's not me. I didn't want that. And at that but, time... And I'm sorry, days, let me I just... Think-
0: Bjorn, I'm sorry, I just want to just ask you this question here real quick. So you didn't know that going in. You you didn't have experience in working for a company, a bigger company in any way before that. So when you went into Ericsson, I mean, you, you had thought this could be kind of like a lifer for you. Like maybe you thought... This yeah, was something you could totally. do for a number of
2: years, so you didn't. Because that's what everybody did. Okay, that's so... what you did at that time, right? You, you, you know, you, you eyed the big, big, you know, blue chip companies, and and yeah. you hoped to make a career. Okay, so you uh, you were
0: thinking you were going to work for them for twenty, thirty, forty years, get the pension, and call yeah. it a day.
2: Yeah, pretty that... much.
0: Got it. So a few years in. Yeah,
2: go ahead. Yeah, it was a big shift in the society. We started talking about uh, this is the yuppie era, right? A young urban professional that started in the mid-80s and that culture around it when TV shows all of a sudden started featuring entrepreneurs, people Mm -hmm. that went their own way. And you're looking at that. Those are really oddballs, aren't they? Mm -hmm. Why on earth would they want to do that? Mm -hmm. And then... Uh, I had a lot of good friends. Some were extremely skilled software developers, and 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 I my skill set was in business and strategy and marketing, and 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 we were just bored with our jobs, and we said let's let's you know let's do something radically different. Um, uh, economical times were good, and everything was booming, and and, uh, and the whole you know Microsoft PCs had just been launched, or IBM sure. PCs, and the Microsoft that came. 84 and whatnot. So you saw the whole sort of new IT era, and we just decided to, okay, let's just jump ship, hold hands and, you know, jump. There's a cliff. Let's jump. We're, you know, if we crash, we can always crawl back into the big corporates, right? Mm-hmm. But, the,
0: but the conversation around security and cryptography and so on like, did you know this was an arena that you wanted to jump into? Or were they like, you're, like the people who approached you, were they like, hey, with a, look, Bill Gates, his vision is to have a, a computer on every desktop. If there's yeah. going to be a computer on every desktop, mm, there's going to be problems. I mean, and, and realistically, I mean, 86, you know, in those years, mm, you didn't have AOL. You didn't have CompuServe. I mean, we launched on CompuServe's Electronic Mall in 93. So mm-hmm. this was even... Prior to that. Right. So yeah.
1: Microsoft just went public in 86.
0: Right. So the yeah. whole the whole Internet. Right. And the whole connectivity of my computer being connected to Richie's being connected to Kelly's being connected to Wade's like we yeah. it, we did, that like didn't even really exist except an underground type of conversation. So yeah. that, that was even possible.
2: We, so I'm we just trying to figure out like yeah, how did no. this come about? We were just at the crisp of that. I mean I my first email address and starting shipping emails was probably sending and receiving emails uh, was probably around eighty seven, eighty eight. And and you know, uh, we were jumping right into the the state-of-the-art technology of course which was uh, an operating system called Unix that then merged into different variations and Sun Microsystem built their whole platform around it. Hewlett Packard later also so um, long story short they actually ended up very quickly become major customers of ours and through them we managed to sell our security solutions to um, uh, the five of the top large, ten largest banks in the US and to a bunch of government uh, governments across the world and and uh, big corporates like bridge petroleum and Samsung in yeah. Korea we're, getting, and, and we're getting much just
0: much? we're getting just a little bit too far down the yeah, path I want right. I want to actually take it a step back yeah, for a second yeah, yeah. so embryonic like you didn't so, even have, so, you, you didn't even have a product to sell at this point like the, no, eventually so you had a product so I just want to try to figure out like what did that because there's probably people out there right now who have different skill sets, and yeah. maybe they can get into a conversation about something, and maybe yeah. they can create something. But like, what were those early conversations like? Did a couple guys just approach you and, and, and say, hey, Bjorn, come, come join us in this? Or what, what did that look like, sound like?
2: It was very much that we were sitting there. We're all like not happy where we were in our lives, and and looking for opportunities. And a couple of our guys had a, a a sort of a consulting stint with a Swedish defense agency, and we felt like that's a good platform for us to expand on. Let's go in and like, and while we figure out what we really want to do, because we don't, we didn't have. We didn't start this with the, uh, you know, the prospect of building a large consulting company, we, 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 but we didn't have a business plan. It wasn't that traditional, like, here's the plan. This is exactly what we're going to do. Let's go find some money and, and do it. In our case, it was very much that of, I'm not happy. You're not happy. We, are all, we have all these skills and, and there's an, a booming market out there. There's computers coming in everywhere, lots of stuff. We want to be involved. Let's get involved, and then we figure out what we really want to do. And as it happened, the very first consulting project happened about some very critical security systems. So we got very quickly involved with cryptography and, and different types of security techniques, and, and very quickly saw that this is perfect. This is a we can build an expertise. We're really early in the stage. A lot of people are running into these needs to secure their systems, and and and. Um, we started just building you know one brick at a time and 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 uh, it was easy in that sense it was ridiculously easy to, so you to, all to you all least. had your
0: day jobs still i, I just want to try to get an understanding of uh, what was going on at that time we
2: had for about 3 months uh, and then we just jumped ship and like okay because we could it was fairly easy to scale the consulting business and we did a lot of body shopping so we hired people that we sold uh, just to keep the the foundation of the development of the the the, the security solutions uh, going right so we we I think we went from five or seven guys day one to but 30 or 40 within a year most of them were what we yeah, you know, we hired our friends from from engineering school and our software developers, and just rented them out and made good profit, and took that profit, reinvested it in developing a security solution that we really started to be grow super excited about because we saw an incredible need for it in the new mm. technological environment, and and that's you know that's a very simple answer. Yeah, <laughs> so I was trying
1: to. Yeah, I was going to try. This is Richie. I'm trying to uh, piece together kind of, I think, where Steve was going. So, you missed the bridge, too? Yeah. <laughs> Me, too. So, so, I mean, was this first customer, was that the Swedish government, and you were, like, like... What did you sell? Like, Yeah, so so I heard it was, like, someone you were working... I'm trying to piece it. Someone got a gig with the government, and you yeah. saw that as an in?
2: we saw that as an in we saw an opportunity to uh, and it was a consul- you know they were hired a couple of guys to help them code a security solution for a particular application and, and um, we saw an opportunity to sell more resources to that unit that not necessarily were involved in the in the core security solution but in general right i mean in the mid 80s there was a screaming demand everywhere for people that knew how to program the new technologies that were just being launched so it was a good opportunity to just go out and body shop, selling resources, making money that we could all other, the rest of us, live off as we developed a more sophisticated, more, more packaged, canned security solution that we then could go out and sell as a standard product. So, so, you knew- so we had a customer that drove, that came with a very specific demand specification and we saw that we could tweak this, we could expand on that and make it a standard package
1: got it so you came in via consulting yeah and they you know for lack of a better word that's coming to mind they were kind of your guinea pig that helped put together that package Correct. Correct. and it was like why not take this because their government their check's going to cash right? Yeah. was it a long term contract was it more than the three months or did you just have faith that you saw something there when you took that leap
2: we we had faith and and uh it was a little damn it you know let's just do it and and see where it goes and and i think we ended up consulting with them for probably a good part of two maybe three years and mm-hmm. kept going you know as as a good uh uh resource to keep driving when you develop solutions like we did there it was key for us to have very knowledgeable customers that came with very specific requirements. So our second customer very quickly became the Swedish tax authorities that had a lot of money and of course in their systems, right? Very specific particular security requirements that we could then take. And and so, you know, we did a lot of consulting. We could get very early a bank that also had security requirements and we were managing to take all these requirements from specific customers knowledgeable customers and and um, make turn them into more generic solutions a toolkit that we could then standardize and then successfully go out and sell in the across the world were you getting
1: referrals early on like this doesn't sound like something that you're like placing ads for no. something it's just getting started so
2: yeah and 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 uh, a key key partnership for us at that time was the actual suppliers of of uh, computer systems so I mentioned HP and, and and Sun were very early on key partners with us we became their in-house security specialist company right so when they had customers they were concerned about selling hardware that was what they cared about and and if the customer needed a, a more sophisticated solution they'd pull in their preferred partners and we quite quickly became a preferred partner started in Scandinavia and then you know know, they they started sending us out we very quickly broke into the UK market and landed a very large contract with the UK tax authorities for example and and, uh, when you work with large, complex solutions like that, it takes a lot of time to install, and you make a lot of money in support and re- re- support revenue, and and adapting, uh, adapting, adapt- adapting them to their uh, you know specific systems. So we had a core product where where I'd say our biz- our business, 50% was software licenses, and 50% was uh, a- adapting them to your particular environment. I think a business model like. That- SAP or Salesforce.com mm-hmm. or others are practicing in different ways today, right? Yeah. So you have a, a core library of good fun stuff, and then you can uh, leverage. And in our case, every single customer helped us add features and functionality to our package, so it got better and better and better to the point where you know Chase Manhattan, Citibank, Wells Fargo, and all those guys uh, signed up.
0: Mm. So going and in, in just again trying to put the the pieces of this puzzle together here so <laughs> the 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 way that it started and and again I think Richie clarified a lot of this but basically somebody got a gig somebody brought in a bunch of somebodies you guys then kind of expanded off of that but at what point did you then actually formalize and say hey let's you know let, let's make this into an actual Company, right? Because, as you said, you know there were three, four, five, six of you who helped out on this one consulting gig, so to speak. And by the end of year one, you've got thirty odd people. I mean, at, at this point, you are picking up gigs left and right. There is so much demand for what it is that you are doing. How, how did you formalize? And, and how many original partners were there? And 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 I guess if they kind of brought you in. Did they bring you in to a lesser? I mean, was your position uh, sort of a minority type position? Then, if somebody else kind of brought you into this, and there was a bunch of questions in that, but again, I'm just trying to figure
2: out structure out of the gate. So I was the CEO from day one, uh, and uh, I was the business person, I guess. And, and then I had all these very skilled uh, system engineers and software developers that were part of our you know social network. Um, and, and, uh, so we formed a company day one, uh, we had to, because you were invoicing and all that stuff. Right. Mm-hmm. So, but, but that didn't mean that we sat down around the table and, and quite knew what we were doing and what it would entail to have a company together and what, you know, policies and all that, that had, to, that sort of worked out over time. Mm-hmm. And, and so, uh,
0: again, I'm just trying to figure out the... And you can share as much or as little of this as you want, of course, but uh, but I'm just trying to figure out the initial structure. Was, was it four guys and you were 25%? Each owner uh, you took on the CEO role, did you have a, a majority position? I'm just trying to get right. a, a sense of what uh, what the structure was out of the gate.
2: So out of the gate, we were seven of us, and we had roughly it was just roughly one-seventh each. Sure. It wasn't quite that, but but not big difference, right? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And each of those people had their respective skill
0: sets. It sounds like you were oh, yeah. on the business yeah. side of the equation. Obviously, there was a rainmaker there that went in and got this initial gig. So mm-hmm. that person was probably on the sales side, and then you probably had a couple of the engineers. Yeah, that was that
2: was that was very much me and uh, two other software guys. I would say, or the system engineer and the software developer. We, mm-hmm. we because the sales cycle were quite complex to understand all the intricacies of you know, uh, mm-hmm. the bargaining TCP IP protocol, which is, you know, the sure. core of the internet and all that's good stuff. So so it was a very technical sales. so very important to build relationship, build trust. And the challenge we had as a bunch of young kids was that and working with big organizations, they look at us like, okay, so where do you guys come from and mm-hmm. how do I know you're around tomorrow? Yeah. Uh, how did so, you, so how my, did you address oh, that? I, yeah. How, yeah, how that did that was you address rolled, it from a billing? You know, it, 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 you have to be frank in one way and say, listen, I mean, I can't guarantee you that, but we're damn good at what we're doing and we have a couple of customers with long-term contracts, so so there's a good chance we can survive just on those, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, uh, we had solutions to their immediate needs, So, so you had to do things like putting source code in escrow, uh, we did that with several customers, and there were escrow set setups, right? So they knew that in worst case they could at least have access to the software, and there were requirements on how we documented that, and and, and good stuff. So they felt somehow uh, secured, uh, safe in the situation that they could run this over time. Mm-hmm. Give
0: us a sense of how big the first couple of contracts were. I mean, were these million dollar contracts? Were these ten thousand dollar type contracts? Yeah, they
2: were. They were in the uh, I would say fifty to hundred and fifty thousand dollars in mm. the first uh, first years.
0: So you guys weren't exactly ranking it r- raking it in then. I mean, there's seven of you, and you, no. you, you got a couple. And, and, you
2: know, we're struggling to. One of the early mistakes I did uh, was that we uh, we came to a point where we said, okay, enough of this consulting nonsense. Let's focus all our resources on developing a standard software package because there's clearly a big market for that. Mm-hmm. So I sit down with my engineering team, and how much time do we need to make this um, uh, framework into a, a, a package that we can sell, and 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 uh, my mistake there was that I I took their words for it, right? So the first message was, yeah, it'll take me about three to five months, and I looked at our cash flow and I looked at our cash balances and like, yeah, we can do that. Mm. So we started stopped consulting, and 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 when the Product was completed in its first iteration. That was about a year and a half later. Oh wow! Three to five months turns
0: in eighteen months.
2: Yeah, we went bankrupt and we went out, and, but we had the technology there, so we managed to get funding very quickly. So we started over again, right?
0: So you, uh, so you did yeah. at that juncture, you did take in outside funding. We did. We did. How much we, did you take in at that
2: point? Oh, uh, yeah. Well, we took in outside funding. It's it's uh, we moved into uh, in a relationship with a consulting company that also serviced these existing customers, and they they actually never took equity in it. They kept supporting us, and and, and we had a structure where they they would sell consulting services around it, right? Because I guess we had the advantage we had there uh, was that the knowledge the solution sat in the heads of the people that built it so so uh, uh and and we worked in that sort of symbiosis for about a year and a half or two years, and then we bought it out from them, so ostensibly
0: our- they were paying you for services to fulfill whatever their needs were, which ostensibly yeah. kept your, yeah, kept they, your they, business they, they, afloat yeah. and not a bankruptcy yeah. at that point. But that yeah. but that was how you structured it. It was capital yeah. in return for yeah. services. So it was basically yeah. just another contract, so to speak.
2: Yeah, it, 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 very, absolutely right. And, and which led to us starting restarting the company when we took it out of there uh, about two years later with the same crew, mm-hmm. more or less the same crew. Mm-hmm. At that time, we actually brought in another CEO, which was a, a, a much uh, more senior guy, a much uh, more of a, a chief of operations numbers guy. And I started focusing solely on sales and marketing. Mm-hmm. And I think from this is where we're talking about here, 1990, 1991. And from there on, we had a, a pretty nice growth, you know, went up to, uh, what, 15 to 20 million dollars in sales. Mm-hmm. Over the next couple of years, started subsidiaries in the U.S. and in the U.K., and and landed a big uh, number of, of uh, as I mentioned earlier, right, prestigious accounts.
0: And and the core product at that point was what?
2: It was uh, uh, authentication. And so what we did, uh, trade force, we, big, uh, our biggest market was uh, uh, international trade force where you authenticate, so make sure the right person logs on. Just having, in, in some sense, simple authentication systems knowing who logs on right i mean this is today that would seem like really was that it Mm -hmm. but then behind that you had an audit trail you made needed to make sure whatever the trader did that that's audited and so we can go back and see what happened and what did you do and then of course you need to protect all that stuff so it was a lot of cryptography pretty sophisticated cryptography actually and when we um, we were pretty good at implementing some of the leading uh, cryptography protocols at that time, and that's why RSA Security, maybe the number one in the industry at that time. When it came to public-private uh, cryptography, um, they acquired us and then used us as a link to open up overseas markets that they didn't have as much access to themselves.
0: So at, in obviously the business kept growing. This was where you were able to scale because once you create that piece of software, so to speak, you, that's yeah. obviously uh, something you can easily scale and, and yeah. take it international and, and so on. Yeah. So how many employees did you have? How much revenue were you generating? And where were you, uh, just in terms of, of
2: profitability
0: when you were able to exit there?
2: So we were about 120 staff, 130, maybe mm-hmm. when we mm-hmm. sold, mm-hmm. Um, uh, uh, we were about twenty million dollars in revenue, but we had the last year we'd grown one hundred percent in uh, in sales. So were you able uh, to? Uh, so
0: how was the valuation? I just want to I want to make sure I understand valuation. Yeah. So how how and, and was this an active? Did you hire an IB to to get you sold? Did this kind of come out of the woodwork? Take me through what happened in the exit.
2: So we were. Uh, come '94, '95, we saw a tremendous, tremendous opportunity, particularly here in the U.S. But we also realized, in order to capitalize that, we need to have a, a few bits of infrastructure that we didn't have in, uh, ourselves. We needed more uh, skilled people, of course, that could help with sales and sales support, and 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 you know, keep systems uh, supported after they've been installed. That was a pretty big thing. It was a big ticket generator too, revenue rener- generator. Mm-hmm. As you can imagine, uh, Chase Manhattan, they couldn't allow a trade floor to stand still, not even a millisecond. So so there was a lot of checks and balances and having people 24-7 on call if something went wrong. And we protected their trade floors in seven different countries. We, we installed in you know all over the world, wherever they're trading. Uh, and um, uh, so, so we had a challenge to grow. Really, it became a race for us to scale. Was really a direct proportion, in in some sense, to what, uh, or or at least, if not direct, it, it was hinging on us having enough. Skilled people on board, and the question was, "Can we hire them ourselves fast enough mm-hmm. and The other thing was, of course, how can we scale the outreach to reach other clients uh, fast uh, so we can really you know optimize on this opportunity we had. And we gave ourselves two years to set reach certain targets. And uh, by 1996, we realized that we, we can't do this on our own. Uh, we, we're ending out, we We're not growing fast. I mean, the market is much bigger, and we're just not able to capture it on our own. We need mm-hmm. a partnership. So at that point. We were also pretty tired, you know. I remember when that last year we grew on 100% and I traveled, I think, five times around the world, you know. Mm-hmm. Basically, we had customers in Australia, Korea, the U.S., the U.K., Scandinavia. And it was it was pretty hard in our organization. And we felt like, okay, we've done this for 10 years, time to get, you know, some mm-hmm. bigger guy involved. And, and and at that time, we, we had a valuation that was, you know, around 10x. So we could, you know, we do... Um, We felt that this was a a good fit. We we signed up with a company here in in California, whose name actually eludes me right now, Mm. to help us find partners. So we identified... Ten targets that we think would be a good fit for us mm-hmm. and, and approached them and, and they actually almost all of them started bidding so we were fortunate to wow. create a bidding process and,
0: and, and that uh, was 10x on 10x on revenue or 10x on EBITDA or where, where did that end? Or, on, on revenue Wow, that's awesome. so basically if I'm reading between the lines I mean it was about a 200 plus million dollar exit for you guys at that juncture
2: at that juncture yes and
0: there were still just the seven original partners or had you taken in other people as well?
2: Well, we had not no external investors, but we had, uh, uh, um, uh, of course, uh, profit. I'm sorry, an equity sharing system with our employees. So I think so like we had about stock option pool and a um, absolutely, rev- yes. Yes. Yeah. Nice. yeah, absolutely. So we had about 50 people. We were laughing, I think, uh, that summer after we sold, I think, you know, $10 million houses were bought in (laughs) Stockholm. It felt good, you know, you saw all these people that you've been working with and for many all the, you know, even a few hundred thousand, I mean, it made an enormous impact and it changed a yeah. life for a lot of people. So so that was great to see.
0: Yeah. Well, congrats on that. Did you end up taking some some time off and uh, and enjoying that or did you jump straight back into something else or just so, give so, us a sense uh, of what you did after? Because obviously you get that kind of windfall. You probably never had that kind of money in your life.
2: What correct. did you do? Did you go to Disney? <laughs> well, no, I was thirty-nine, and I figured I could retire. Yeah, and, and um, but I met Heidi, and and uh, we hadn't quite figured out whether how, you know how serious that it was at that time, uh, but uh, uh, we hit it off, and we skied a lot, and did a lot of fun stuff, mm. and and uh, uh, by uh, nineteen ninety-nine, we, we actually got married. Uh, But what I did, of course, was immediately look around and start investing. I I saw myself as being a business angel and helping other entrepreneurs, and and I started looking at investing in some other cool software projects. But the investment I did that really changed my life uh, in in many different ways and that really caught my attention was to invest in my brother's invention. Um, And he had back in patented, filed a patent, he's a professor in food chemistry, his name is Richard Ostey, and he is a professor in food chemistry at the University of Lund. And when he was a young student uh, and, and a PhD student, his professor then discovered lacto-intolerance. Mm. So, so he grew up academically in a in a world where lactose intolerance was very high on the agenda, and he started playing around with oats in in late eighties and nineteen ninety four he patented a process to make milk from oats hmm. and uh, but nobody would you know he had no one to talk to, nobody really cared and he'd presented it to the biggest dairy company and they just basically literally spit it out and when they tested it and said, this is unsellable." And, and uh, but, you know, we, we had a ski house up in the mountains and we sat there in the sauna and kicking around ideas as entrepreneurs and thinking. And, and there was something in this oat milk product that really resonated, right? Mm-hmm. So, so he managed to you know, stumble forward and get some stuff happening, but not much. And when I sold my company, uh, Dynasoft I felt like I'm gonna, I want to be involved in this somehow. And I looked at this as more of a passive investment. But, I mean, going from computer security to making milk from oats is not necessarily a very logical (laughs) career move, right? Yeah, right. Uh, But but, uh, one of the lessons of life is that that's exactly what you should do, right? And Mm -hmm. I was, uh, in all honesty, I was pretty fed up with the software industry. Fed up in the sense that I've been doing it so hard for so long It cost me two long relationships. Luckily, we didn't have children. And I, you know, socially, I lost a lot of my friends, not lost them, but never had contact because it was 150%, you know, focus on building this software company. And I felt like, okay, well, been there, done that, now time to do something very new. And I was intrigued by working with a product that, When you go to a trade show, the consumer walks or the the guy, a guy walks into your booth and they taste your product. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you look them squarely in the face and it's like that moment of truth, right? What are they going to do? They're going to spit it out. Are they going to turn into like a a raisin in their face or or are they going to like give you some like, oh, that was really good. Because I grew up in the software industry when that happened all the time people came in and like oh but it doesn't do xyz and you could smile put your hand on their shoulder and said my friend we thought of that and that, that we'll take care of that in version 1.1 1. 1. and we work don't worry about that bug you mentioned yeah that's coming in version 1.2 don't worry no problem but try that when somebody eats your product and don't like the taste
0: hmm. mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that'll be inversion. Yeah, right? Yeah. Yeah, good luck it, with that.
2: Yeah. I guess not so much, right? But yeah. anyway, so so long story short, I mean, this whole oat milk thing became a major passion and I started to involve myself much more than just a passive investor. I became very quickly got in and took the role role as a Senior advisor and chairman of the board, and 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 we started doing things, bringing in uh, smart people, hiring a CEO that could actually operate the business for us. and somebody from the food industry at that point, I didn't know anything of the food industry, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I I did very quickly. I did a very big deal for for the company with Danon, the French uh, yogurt company, mm-hmm. and uh, I could use all my. Negotiation skills from software licensing it was highly applicable when you sell a, a high technology ingredient to a food company and you have all the i p protection around it and whatnot so I felt at home with that and and that was a major break, breakthrough in many different ways for for this company um and and uh nineteen well ninety nine or so Danon actually stopped selling that product it couldn't get it to sell it didn't really uh it wasn't a very successful they tried to do a, a non-dairy yogurt uh, at that early stage and didn't work with their consumer base so we decided like okay we can't hinge our future on on the success of others we need to be the masters of our own destiny and that we decided that we need to launch our own consumer branded product. and uh, we need to do we need to go all the way ourselves and in 2001, we launched uh, Oatly, or you know, the company Oatly and the product Oatly, which today you can buy if you can find it. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. It's, it's all over the U.S. And and that sort of became the end of anything software for me, and and focusing on and yeah, yeah, on food products, and you've got good yeah. I-
0: good idea now, right? With yeah. uh, so, so just just so I'm clear on this, I mean, obviously, I get it. So you you got the the influx of capital, you got out of the software, you took a little bit of time off, you started investing, then in uh, in your uh, in Oatly and in your and in your brother is brother brother-in-law's business. I forget oh, brother, it's your brother, brother. right? Yeah, it's your brother's My older business. Brother, right now. Is that has that been acquired? Has that been? Uh, is there an exit there, or, or are you still involved with that on a on a board level? What what's your involvement with that? And then what's uh, what's going on with this uh, with this good idea and uh, and some of the other uh, endeavors you're involved with?
2: Yeah, so so uh, the, I'm I'm on the board of uh, Oatley, uh, so I'm heavily involved from a, from an owner strategic sort of uh, side, uh, you know, when you're looking at financing or or strategic directions or whatnot. I talk frequently with the CEO, uh, both with the and the general manager in the U.S. and and mm-hmm. the CEO for the global operations. And, and And I actually roll up my sleeves whenever I get a chance and go out and help the local marketing people here in the Bay Area because it's just so fun, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and and so um, if I can help there, but but it's really you know my daytime job is a good idea, which is uh, uh, a, a sparkling water that reduces uh, blood sugar. When you drink it with your meal and, and we see a big opportunity uh, for that here in the u.s what happened as we grew you know oatly may seem a very simple product in its in- incarnation today you buy it you know you pour it in a cup it's oats and water and it tastes great and you know you can froth it you can cook it you can freeze it you can do whatever you want and ex- excellent in cooking and we score high here in the u.s now but uh, the u.s palate seems to be in love with the taste so that's great but uh it was based on pretty uh, uh, sophisticated research uh, multidisciplinary you know you had experts in so, such things as enzyme technology as in proteins and and uh, mechanical processing and and uh, we spent a lot of time understanding the health benefits of oats and working with the medical Community oats lower cholesterol. Uh, Oatly lowers cholesterol. is very effective at doing that, and that's uh, part of the, you know, the, the patent and the technology to make sure when you process oat, basically cook a big vat of oatmeal, if you like, in, in a simplistic way, um, uh, that makes sure that the 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 secret sauce, the the beta glucan, which is a soluble fiber, uh, fairly unique to oats, that. That it doesn't get destroyed in the process, which tend to be the result when you process oats normally uh, and uh, it also gives taste properties and a rich mouth feel etc uh, um, uh, etc et so it's a very desirable uh component to have, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but uh tricky to work with and and so uh, as the company, we launched 2001 and, and uh, we started in, in Europe, in UK and Scandinavia pretty much at the same time. And we went after a very niche market, the lactin tolerant the vegan, milk protein allergic markets. Uh, it was an easy way to get out, uh, get into shelf with pretty much any retailer because they need to cater to that smallish community, right? Yeah. Uh, but over time, we broke out the R&D facility from Otley and started a completely separate R&D company, and that that really has been, I think, where my passion has been over the last ten years, because we invent stuff and we take it to the market, and and it, it's just nothing. Couldn't be more cool than that.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, and I would venture to guess that in the scheme of things, the margins have got to be off the charts. I mean, like literally when you're talking about, you know, water yeah. or oats or, you know, any of these yeah. types of th- I mean, the, the margins have got to be pretty substantial, no? <laughs>
2: Put it this way: the margin potential is enormous. Mm-hmm. Uh, then you have the economy of scale and those kind of things that work against you when you're a startup phase. Mm-hmm. So, so margins that are not necessarily great the first couple of years, but uh, margin margin potential. Uh, what what you do in, in our industry, I guess, when you can the two leading things for anything we do. Number mm-hmm. one, it must we must be able to patent the technology. Well, patents are important because they buy us a a certain time monopoly. Uh, During that time monopoly, we can establish a brand, we can build a foot, a beachhead and we can scale, right? And over time, if it's a successful concept, there are inevitably going to be competition that may not infringe your patent, but there's always another way to achieve a similar result, maybe not as good, but good enough. Uh, Mm -hmm. So you need the time monopoly to establish your brand so you can scale. And that's when you start scaling. That's when the benefit of the patent kicks in, right? And you can get a price point. Oh, the other component is, uh, of course, that patent and the other component in whatever we do is that we can clinically prove that it has serious real health benefits, we We were very early ticked off by by a lot of self professed um, uh, experts that launch you know a soy this or an herb that or a berry this that does everything you know yeah to you all the benefits and and we, we we see how that hurts serious players and and consumers have over the years built a certain healthy i guess mistrust to to all these uh purveyors of snake oil. Sure, sure. Um, And so patent and documented health uh, properties, and we work with closely with university and medical expertise. So when we do clinical studies, like we've done with the good idea, for example, nine right now, they are done by the book, you know, double blind, placebo controlled, randomized by third party, you know, all this good stuff that any scientist would Pull it out, read it, and say, "Okay, well, this is trustworthy. This is done the right way." Yeah. And and, and uh, once you have that, you can start getting a premium in price, and you can get bigger. Uh, I would, I would hope, I you know, off the chart sounds so great, but but at least a seriously uh, a, a serious advantage over more generic competition. There, there's no question about that.
1: Yeah, I had a question here. Um... So you started out the first company doing more consulting. Then it sounded like you moved into more of a wholesaling type scenario with Oatly, right? Are you doing direct-to-consumer now? Like I looked at the website for Good Idea. And, um,
2: we are. Drinks. Yeah, we good, we good Idea drinks we launched in June in retail here in the U.S., Uh, We're about 200 supermarkets, give or take, across the country and and not all over, but in certain regions in California, certainly northern and southern California and uh, a little bit centered around Midwest, Chicago and that area. And, And we're scaling that. And we are online, and we work with um, uh, restaurants and food service. You know, starting starting a service delivering to offices. A product like Good Idea is really ideal for the office worker, for example. I mean, you drink it with your lunch. You you will not feel tired after food, anywhere near the way you would normally with the when the blood sugar level starts dropping. You know, uh, a while after you've eaten. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you can, uh, if you can start to prove that.
1: Clinically, which would which you probably can, yeah. You're gonna you can go stick to wholesale. The businesses will be buying those things,
2: right? Yeah. Well, yeah. No, absolutely. We see definitely uh, a lot of strategic partnerships with uh, uh, companies that are targeting the diabetic community, for example. Right. Uh, they they uh, they are all about blood sugar management and uh, companies that provide blood sugar blood glucose measuring devices, for example. They have a big kind uh, customer base that check their blood sugar every day they're very aware they are you know very dialed in and clearly that's a strategic partnership opportunity that would benefit the consumer the that other company and ourselves yeah, uh, selling to corporates absolutely right uh, for for launch, and and then of course there's always a, a big retail opportunity.
0: Yeah, and so is the vision around these uh, these businesses, only and uh, and Good Idea, and so on. Is it, I would venture to guess that the idea here is to continue the same pattern of scaling and exiting, or are these more long term plays for you?
2: Well, yeah, it's in- interesting the way I look more and more at. at at companies and what the, the notion of a company—it's almost like a company is, is a product of something, right? And, and uh, if you take Good Idea, now where we're working here, we, we clearly have—we have other products in our labs back back home that will address head-on the diabetic market.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And
2: they're not on the market yet, and there will be about not a year, and so we're going to need to publish some some scientific studies, and and, and you know, and we're working on all that. Yeah. We have very high hopes. So when I'm launching Good Idea, the beverage today, I have two plays here. I think uh, first of all is to establish a really great-tasting beverage with a with a very much sought-after and beneficial health property. But but truly to scale a beverage, you need ultimately uh, the the muscle and the distribution of some of the really big companies. It'll take me years and cost. Track loads of money to try to build that myself. Yeah, it would. Yeah. So, well, so, so, ultimately, that needs to be parked and, and cared for by a much bigger organization. Mm-hmm. But my knowledge about the market and marketing to this, uh, I was going to say niche, well, half of the U.S. population, right, or or two thirds that really need or benefit from products like this. That we see important uh, reuse of in other products that we have up uh, the pipeline. So, so, you know, yeah, realistically, we'll take in external investors in good idea and we will realistically sell that in a few years, depending on, you know, three, two, five years, depending on how fast we will grow. Yeah. Because there's a need from the big CPG companies for new innovative products and there's a need for us to scale it fast. So we'll establish a beachhead, prove that it works, probably sell it, and then we keep the knowledge around how you market to that market. And then we have another company that will do that again, right?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, it sounds, I mean, obviously at this point, you've got a pretty solid system in place for exactly what it takes. And it seems like it's uh, repeatable. And so whatever happens with Oli, whatever a good idea, I'm sure that you can then go in and replicate that yeah. process, replicate that system in other ways as well. Any yeah. final thoughts here? Uh, for the entrepreneurs who are thinking about either starting uh, or scaling or potentially uh, exiting from their business in the last uh,
2: 90 seconds or so?
0: Uh,
2: uh, I mean, I, I think the food industry is great, ripe for, for change. So I encourage all my friends to invest in the food industry. Uh, uh, there, there's so much to be done there. We, there's such a st- stark need for, for improvement. Of a lot of things, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, lead, follow your guts. I mean, uh, you know, and don't necessarily take advice from from the old industry stalwarts. Uh, they tend to be misguided easily and and stuck in old thinking, right? So, so uh, I benefited a lot, I think, from coming from computer security into you know oat milk. It it, it gave me the reason to say. You know, I, we don't do that in this industry or rather I, I didn't know that. Right. So mm-hmm. I couldn't give me the reason to try things that weren't done before. And lo and behold, they yeah. may work. Yeah. Yeah. Well, really
0: uh, awesome having you on here, Bjorn. And maybe we'll uh, maybe we'll have a conversation around liquor.com because we've got millions of people who come to that site every day and millions of people on the database. And there's probably some ways to look at doing some proprietary products around that. So maybe yeah, uh, for sure. maybe, we, maybe we'll have that conversation. But I appreciate the time today, my friend, Bjorn Osti. If people want more information about you, where, where are the best places for
2: them to go? Yeah, bjorn.osti at com is my email. They can always shoot me a question or, or go to www.goodideadrinks.com and, and read up. And they can read about our beverages there and they can reach me that way too.
0: All right, my man. Congrats on all your success and, uh, you know, Jesus, 200 million plus exit yeah. with uh, dinosaur gives you a lot of flexibility there in terms of what you can do moving forward. And who would have thought there would be a correlation between the, the software business and cybersecurity and, you know, crypt, uh, what do you call it, cryptography, cryptography. right? And, uh, and then getting into the whole arena of food and beverage and, and so on and so forth. You just never know how the dots are going to connect. But clearly there's, uh, there, there's a lot of lessons learned in the one business that he's applying to the others. Richie, any final thoughts?
1: He doesn't even have to invent a new product for Liquor.com. He's got it. He's helping with their blood sugar. They're all drinking liquor.
0: Right. Uh, we just throw some booze just, in Good Idea and call it a, it a day. There too. we go. That's always Put a good together. idea. Put yeah. it in one drink. And then wash it down with a shot of oat milk and call it a day. I don't know. Yikes. I'll be in the testing room. Kelly will be there helping us out with the tastings. All right, sweet. Well, oh, man, you know, just week after week, it never ceases to amaze how people are moving to beyond eight figures with their businesses, whether they're you know in that scale or exit. Uh, I mean, geez, it's just such an honor to have people like Bjorn join us, and we look forward to having you guys join us next time here on Beyond Eight Figures. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye.